Well, good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to welcome again to Mafra. Well, as I uh, was approaching this um, this passage this week, it sort of struck me that we all sort of think of ourselves as rational people, right? We all like to think that we do th- things, we make decisions, we th- say things that make sense. Um, but it's not always the case, is it, right? We know if we really sort of think about it, we don't all do things that make sense. And most of the time that's kind of funny. It's, it's pretty inconsequential. We, uh, we do things that are a bit irrational, but they're pretty silly. But uh, very occasionally, or perhaps not so occasionally, we do things that really matter that don't make sense. Uh, and it, it, it stops being funny to be told we're, we're being irrational. If we're, if we're told that we're being irrational about something that really matters, it kind of starts to sting, doesn't it? Because like I said, at the end of the day, we like to think of ourselves as being largely rational sort of people. But what if we do really have an irrational approach to some of the most important things in life, or the most important thing in life? What if, uh, uh, what if we're being irrational about our approach to God? Well, that's what uh, Isaiah um, told the people of Judah in this passage that uh, Janelle just read out to us. He says, you know, the, the way you're treating God goes against all sort of rational sense. It doesn't follow the way he's been treating you. In fact, in three distinct ways, the way that uh, Judah was relating to God didn't follow uh, based on uh, how God had treated them. Um, The first way I want to look at comes in the first four verses, um, and it's the fact that Israel had been called by God as his children, his sons, but they weren't submissive. They were sons, but not submissive. Uh, Let me start with the first two verses. Uh, Once again, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he spoke concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Have you uh, ever heard of venting, um, where uh, particularly parents um, might uh, get all their friends together and and just sort of vent about uh, about how frustrated they are with their kids? Why is he doing this? Like, what 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 about him? Is is he just he's just doing this irrational thing? Why? Why is he reacting this way to me? And, and sort of the, the image here in verse 2 is God gathering heaven and earth around him, as it were, to express his, his disbelief, his frustration at his rebellious child, Israel. 
Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Uh, Israel's rebellion against God, it's, it's inconsistent with the way he has treated them. Uh, God had rescued them out of Egypt. He'd uh, called them his firstborn son. Uh, he taught them how they should live. He gave them a land, an inheritance in the land. Uh, and faithfully, uh, for generations, he had nurtured them uh, and, and grown them into a, into a reasonably prosperous people. And yet, they turned their backs on him and rebelled against him. They disobeyed uh, the way that he had called them to live. Uh, look at how verse 4 describes them. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, the offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Imagine describing your child in that way. Someone that has forsaken you, despised you, and made themselves estranged. Uh, In our culture, I, I suppose we sort of sometimes expect children to be rebellious. Um, some of you are possibly listening and going, uh, Nathan, just you wait a couple of years, you'll find out what children are really like. <laughs> and, and yes, by nature, children, I, I know, are rebellious. I'm not expecting amazing things out of my child. But <laughs> in the context of that Isaiah was preaching to, uh, and really in every other culture, um, children were expected to obey their parents. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like, our parents know best. Uh, Jesus, you might remember, uh, preached a parable um, about two sons in a vineyard. <clears throat> and their father said, you know, go and work in, work in the vineyard today. And one of them said, no, I'm not going to do it. But later on he turned around and did it. And the other guy said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But he didn't. Uh, and Jesus didn't even need to, like, Jesus asked his hearers who was being the real son, and he said that they all said it's the one that actually obeyed. Uh, people knew in this culture that being a son meant being submissive to your father, particularly if your father was a good father, and there is no greater father than the heavenly father. and so Isaiah or God through Isaiah says this doesn't make sense that Israel are my sons but not submissive even even nature knows better verse 3 says the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib but Israel does not know Um, I'm not particularly familiar with oxen uh, or donkeys but I have a family friend who breeds and, and trains sheepdogs. And, or you guys, some of you would be familiar with sheepdogs or cattle dogs. How you can uh, train them to respond to just variations in whistles and, uh, and short commands that they'll do exactly what you tell them to. And if nature, if, if animals can be trained to be obedient like this, 
Why can't Israel follow after their God? That's, that's the key question here in these first four verses. Uh, now, <clears throat> uh, the context uh, later on in the chapter tells us how Israel were obeying. Uh, skip, uh, skim your eyes down to verse 23. Um, Isaiah says of, of Jerusalem, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They don't bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause doesn't come to them. Uh, Now, like I said before, this is in stark contrast to the way that God had commanded Israel to function. Uh, Deuteronomy 27 verse 19 says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. And yet that's exactly what they're doing, isn't it? They're perverting the justice to the fatherless and the widow, says verse 23. God had specifically called Israel to to a high and lofty standard of justice, a, a standard of justice that displays the kind of just and loving God that he is. Uh, it, it goes beyond uh, what we might ordinarily think of as as criminal justice but in in it involves also uh, loving neighbor loving your neighbor uh, being kind to the poor but as i said for their own personal gain the people of judah were perverting that standard perverting the justice that god prescribed I mean, that's kind of instructive for us as well, isn't it? That we, we, need, to be, uh, con- we need to consider our own um, commitment to upholding justice. God uh, hasn't just called Israel. You know, he saved Israel and he gave them these instructions and he's uh, saved us and given us the uh, same commission to bring justice in our world, to, to show love uh, to the oppressed and to the... Uh, to the suffering in our community. But, uh, you know, it's, it's hard, isn't it? This is not something that we, uh, find e- we, we will find to be easy to do in our culture. Uh, most, if not all of us, are going to ha- have failed in this in this area, we haven't loved our neighbours uh, as we are called to do. Um, our culture sort of prevents us from seeking true justice. Um, our, our culture has has pitted justice against itself. It, it's suggested that that uh, some types of justice are, are more important than others, and it depends on who you ask. You know, some people say. Uh, that we need to, to be to show justice towards ethnic minorities, while others say, uh, um, you know, we need to show justice to uh, unborn children. And but uh, but many are saying that those are in opposition to each other. How do we show justice to everyone? You know, the, the culture is implying that. Justice for everyone isn't important. Justice for everyone is impossible. Uh, And so we fail to show the justice of God. 
Uh, And in so doing, we become like Israel's sons, but not submissive. Now, I quoted before uh, from Deuteronomy 27, verse 19, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, uh, the fatherless and the widow. And I think this is a really key verse as we approach this passage. Um, Not only does it pick up on that theme that Isaiah touched on of of justice for the fatherless and the widow, but it says uh, anyone who perverts that justice brings a curse upon themselves. And this leads us to the second way um, that Israel were being irrational, that they were cursed uh, and yet they weren't contrite before God. Uh, Now, I'm not going to read it, but uh, Deuteronomy goes on to describe what that curse would look like. Um, Particularly uh, key as we approach this Isaiah 1 passage is is that Israel would be overtaken by invading armies. Um, Deuteronomy goes into terrifying, graphic severity of what that would actually look like. Uh, And Isaiah warns that uh, that is exactly what's happening. You know, the country is being taken over by invading armies. Uh, Verse 7, it says, Your country lies desolate, your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. Judah had brought this curse upon themselves because they were failing to uphold justice. They were in the process of being wiped out. And they should have known, really, that they had it coming. They, they had it coming just the same as, uh, as Sodom and Gomorrah, which uh, Isaiah mentions there in verses 9 and 10. In the same way that they had their destruction coming, Israel had that same destruction coming because of their sin. Now, what do you think would be a reasonable response to this sort of uh, this this being overtaken by foreigners what do you think humility mourning over their sin confession repentance contrition that would have been reasonable right how about uh, uh, formalistic worship celebration as though nothing was going wrong Does that make sense? And yet, as we see in verses 11 to 15, that's exactly how Israel were responding. They were bringing uh, burnt offerings and rams and and the blood of uh, bulls and goats and um, they were celebrating Sabbaths and new moons and uh, and all sorts of solemn assemblies, uh, God says. But because it wasn't coming from the heart, it wasn't uh, consistent with the the standard of, of, of life that God had called them to, God says, I'm weary of them. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a burden to me. That it, it pains me that you would try to come as though nothing is wrong. Um. It doesn't make sense, does it? Um, suppose 
I suppose you're in the hospital and, uh, and an air ambulance turns up. Uh, bringing someone into the emergency department very urgently. And the patient is, uh, has just been in a, a horrific motorbike crash. They've gone off the side of the, uh, the, um, the Great Alpine Road having had a heart attack at 100 k's on a motorbike. They, uh, they're incredibly pale, barely conscious, uh, dizzy, confused, uh, trying to walk, perhaps, but barely, barely managing even... Um, their eyes are shifting in and out of focus. One of his arms is, is clearly broken, flopping around, his shoulder dislocated. <laughs> Head to toe covered in cuts and bruises, bleeding from multiple sites. Uh, struggling to breathe, coughing blood. He's probably got a rib uh, in, his, in his lungs. And, of course, as I said, his heart, he's got a heart attack, weak pulse, all, all these things. Now, the medical people here are laughing because this is just a bit ridiculous, but um, imagine, imagine this patient coming in uh, as this, this over-the-top sick patient and he comes in and, and, and he's trying, uh, resisting all sorts of treatment, angry at, at the doctors and the nurses for trying to treat him, saying that, that he's completely fine and he just wants to go home. If you came into the hospital and you saw that guy, do you think he'd be in his right mind? <laughs> even, even without medical training, you know this guy's completely off his head. He's not being sane at all. It's, it's, do you think it's perfectly rational for this impossibly sick patient uh, to refuse treatment? Of course not. But that's basically what Isaiah says in verses 5 and 6. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness. You know, this head to foot, these um, Israel are, are, are sick as it were, impossibly sick. And yet they were refusing treatment. They were refusing uh, to go to the God who could, uh, who could save them. They were refusing to humble themselves and accept God's, uh, and plead God's mercy. As I said, they were cursed and yet not contrite. And this is, this is just completely ridiculous, Isaiah says. It's, it's preposterous. Why would you want to go on being this sick patient, this impossibly sick, dying patient, pretending nothing is wrong. You know, your country is dying, the land is being destroyed, and you aren't willing to humble yourselves before God? It makes no sense. This is completely irrational, Isaiah says. Now, I want to take a moment to think through what this actually means uh, as New Testament believers 
who have been uh, redeemed from the curse of the law, as Galatians tells us. As, as Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, as we are saved, what does it mean? How can we apply this cursed state of Israel to us today? Well, in, in a lot of ways, yes, that those curses of, of being dispossessed of the land and, and being destroyed in those ways, they don't necessarily apply directly to us. But it does show us that we shouldn't take sin lightly, doesn't it? You know, unrepentant sin brings suffering, God teaches. We shouldn't expect that sin will have no consequences. And for those who are unrepentant even to death, you know, refusing to trust in God, refusing to humble themselves before God, we know that sin will lead to hell. And so we too should heed this this warning that we should be contrite, we should humble ourselves before God. When, when we are convicted of sin, we should take that opportunity to come before God in humility and contrition and repentance. Because there is hope. There is hope. Uh, Israel were sons but not submissive. They were cursed but not contrite. And yet the, the third uh, and final um, paradox, if you will, is that they were wretched but not irredeemable. Uh, verses 16 to 20, uh, God offers them full redemption in spite of their rebellion. Uh, Isaiah says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, God says, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, uh, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Israel still had the option of turning and living in a way that would bring blessing to them. Uh, in the in the Old Testament law, you know, curse wasn't the only option available to Israel. God had blessings for obedience as well. All the blessings of God's favour, material blessings, victory in battle, great renown, uh, what Isaiah summarised there in verse 19 as the good of the land. <clears throat> God still held, holds, held this out to them. He's, he's going, I, I'll do it. I'll bring you blessing. I want to do it. Be reasonable and, and, and accept this offer, this offer you can't refuse. All they needed to do was repent and pursue true and true and lasting justice according to God's law. Simple? Not exactly. <clears throat> 
history tells us that's not exactly what happened. Israel did it at times reform their ways according to God's law, but they never managed this true, this lasting, thorough transformation that God's calling for here. Uh, logic tells us this is probably not quite that simple. You know, wretches that aren't irredeemable. What, what does that even mean? Uh, even the words that Isaiah is using sort of seem to suggest that this is impossible. All the, the cleaning in the world can only do so much to take wool that's been stained red back to its original colour. And to say nothing of turning red snow white... What, what does that mean? How is that going to happen? How could that possibly be? And yet God said, they shall be white as snow. They shall become like wool. This is a promise of God and yet it doesn't even make sense that it could possibly happen. <clears throat> uh, 1 Peter 1 um, tells us that uh, even as Isaiah said these words, he wouldn't have known exactly how it would come about. Uh, he, Isaiah, First uh, uh, Peter 1 says, you know, he, the prophets of old um, spoke of these things and yet they wondered who, how, when is this going to happen? He trusted that God would do as he promised And yet he would have wondered, how can Israel achieve this true and lasting justice, the justice that God requires, the justice of God? How can Israel's sins be, be completely, truly, fully purified? How on earth will this redemption come? You know, surely it would take nothing less than God coming to live out this justice. It would take nothing less than God living out the justice that he required of Israel. It would take nothing less than God having lived that obedience to endure the curse that Israel deserved. And, 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 and then giving the blessings that he received to Israel Right? That's, that's the only way this could possibly happen. That God would renew his people in his own image. He alone is truly white as snow. He alone is pure as wool. It would take nothing less than God himself. And he obliged. God came. Jesus came as the true submissive son. Jesus came as the innocent one who was cursed so that the contrite might receive mercy. Jesus came as the righteous redeemer of the wretches who repent. And he didn't just redeem uh, Judah, did he? This offer is open to us as well. We all today have the opportunity to 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 repent to turn our lives from living and pursuing after sin uh, and commit to following jesus day by day turning from sin to jesus 
That we all have that opportunity, as Isaiah says, to, to learn to do good, to seek justice. And that, that doesn't mean, you know, trying to, uh, to, to do our best or to um, muddle it through on our own. It means following Jesus, the true and full and perfect embodiment of justice and all that is good. <clears throat> we all today have the opportunity to find justice and purity and redemption in Jesus. Right? It doesn't make sense that wretches could be redeemable, but it is possible, completely true, possible, completely just, completely true in Jesus. <clears throat> and because that's true in Jesus, it's also true that, that in Jesus, we can be honest about our sin, like we've uh, been saying this morning. We are uh, we are unworthy before God, and yet we are confident of His lasting, faithful love to us. And so we can be honest about our sin before God, contrite and humble before Him, and yet not wallow in, in guilt and self-loathing. Because we know that in Jesus we have been made white as snow. Uh, because of Jesus we can pursue justice in our world um, and, and yet not worry about having to fully achieve it. <clears throat> you know, we know that, that uh, our culture, our politicians, even the, the, the things that we do ourselves, nothing uh, can truly bring true and lasting justice, but Jesus will when he comes again. Jesus will bring justice that lasts for eternity upon the earth. Um, and so the small justices that we can, the, the, sorry, the small injustices that we can correct, the small acts of love that we do here and now aren't in vain because they foreshadow and they, they, they uh, point to the true justice that Jesus will bring. <clears throat> because of justice, we can even be content when we suffer injustice ourselves, if it means kindness for someone else. Because we know that true justice, far more kindness and blessing than we could ever deserve, awaits us in eternity. <clears throat> uh, now, I don't want to suggest um, here that, uh, that if we repent uh, of our sins here in Australia... Uh, if we mend our ways and reshape our society according to God's way, then God will bless this land, you know. It's kind of tempting to read that uh, out of this passage, uh, that uh, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. You know, we want to hear that as a, a, a promise for ourselves. But the promise for us is far better than just a, a blessing here in Australia. The good news for us is, is that because Jesus has fully obeyed the law, because Jesus did live justly and he did love his neighbours, he, because he is bringing justice to completion, he offers those blessings to us freely. We will eat the good of the land because of Jesus. Not the, not the good of this great southern land, right? but the good of the eternal heavenly land, the good of the new creation for all eternity. 
We will share with Jesus and rejoice. And so God calls again, be reasonable, accept this offer you can't refuse. Don't be a rebellious child of God. Don't refuse to humble yourself in the face of the curse. Jesus offers forgiveness, redemption, transformation, true and lasting justice, heavenly, eternal blessings. And so let's pray and thank him for that grace. Heavenly Father, we are uh, so... Uh, in awe of of the gospel. And that as we said, uh, we are so unworthy before you, Lord. We uh, we come in in full awareness of our sin. And yet, uh, we know that we have uh, been forgiven, we have been made clean and transformed because we are hidden in Christ. We are are covered uh, by Christ's righteousness. We have the grace of Christ freely given to us. The blessings that he deserved, the curses that we deserved are upon him and his blessings come to us. Our Lord, we pray that we would follow him, that we would look to him and, and uh, in hope, uh, that we would follow him uh, in faith. Uh, and uh, that we would find the grace um, that he offers us day by day in his name. Amen.